0: I couldn't help but think as we were singing these words of just thinking of the words in those last two songs, thinking of Jesus' as rescuer. And thinking of the chapter we, the chapter in radical, I read it early this morning, and was thinking of in today's world, so much of the gospel I feel like has been watered down, and we don't realize the extent that we've been rescued. And just to think that as we realize that we've been rescued from death, from death to life. That Jesus is rescuer, as we truly feel that, experience that, how much more does that cause that, that second, that last song we sang, how I love you. How I love you. God, as we open your word. As we sing these songs, oh God, I just I pray that we would all have this overwhelming, this overwhelming personal experience with your rescuing us. Bible says that Jesus humbled himself and became man, bore our burdens, provided forgiveness from sin. It gives life. God, how amazing that is. And God, lead us to just Fill us with an overwhelming love, a love for you. God, thank you for rescuing. God, we are so dependent upon you. There's nothing, nothing we could have done to rescue ourselves. So God, as we open your word now, as we talk of prayer, God, this prayer is just this act of dependence because we are incapable to save ourselves. We're incapable to save others. We're incapable to somehow step towards you. God, allow us to experience you this morning. Father, let your Holy Spirit be moving, be shaping each one of us. Showing us our great need for rescuing. But that you have provided the rescue. God, let us see Jesus clearly. God, thank you for Jesus. In his name, amen. So if you want to be turning back to James chapter five, James chapter five, that's where we're going to be this morning. So this is our last week in James. This is our last week in James. I, I guess it's been I don't know how long it's been since we started James. Um, it's been a while. It's been a long time since we first went opened the book. And began to go through chapter one and go through the introduction as James introduced all these different topics that he was going to be talking about, and we're going to wrap this up this morning. And I think it wraps up in such a beautiful, clear, clear way. So let me ask you a question: What what is your first response when when things happen? When Think about your first response when you might win a game, or your first response when you might lose a game, or maybe it's when your favorite sports team or group wins or or loses. What is your first response? What about your first response when you receive some some really good news? Your, your, Your first response when you receive really bad news? Or your first response when you don't get something you want? The nature of four-year-olds is something I'm in the midst of. What is the first response when you don't get something you want? It's just kind of life right now. But I feel like our first response when we're not given something we want, our first response when anything happens Shows a lot of where we are, where our hearts are. What about your first response when you're walking through trials or difficulty or persecution? What are you walking through a time when life is just really, really hard? Is, it frust- is your first response frustration? Is it complaining? Is it retreating? Is it hiding? And I can't help but think of James. He's been writing to these, these scattered believers who are walking through awful things, walking through this persecution, walking through trial. And I know that for many of us in this room are also walking through different levels of s- stuff. All kinds of things that, that we walk through. And what is our response in those moments? I'm going to go ahead and read. James 5:13 through 20. James writes, "Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? James, we've talked about James being a very practical book. He's said a lot of very clear, hey, do this. Hey, like this is what your response should be in this situation. Don't do this. He's been very clear all the way through the book about just practically living out faith, practically living the Christian life. And I think he's very clear with what he says this morning as well. This is Pray. Pray. Are you walking through trials? Pray. Are you suffering? Pray. Are things going great? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. Whatever it is, this is pray. And I I didn't even realize until Friday morning of this week that it's prayer night tonight. Like we did not plan this. Um, I we had prayer, we planned prayer night a while a long time ago. We didn't really have all this exactly planned out. I was like Man, how cool is that? Like That's just something that God continues to do things like that. It's like, it looks like we had planned something and that was not at all us. This was God orchestrating this. And in this week that we're talking all about prayer that we've, we're going to spend tonight as a church praying, praying together for one another, for the needs of those around us. But as we look at this passage this morning, remember who James is talking to. Remember who he's saying this to. We've talked about this almost every week. James is writing to a group of believers who have been scattered, who are not walking through happy times. Like These people are walking through difficult times, walking through trials, walking through their suffering because of their faith in Jesus. It's almost like we've come full circle to where James first started the book. In James 1, starting in verse 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is the situation. This is the life that these believers are, are living. This is what they're walking through. And... Let me just be clear prayer, communion with God, speaking to God is essential to endure suffering. The Bible is full, it's full of people and examples of these people as they pray, as they suffer as they pray through the midst of trials and suffering. I mean, this is just going to scratch the surface, but think of of Moses and the Israelites as as they fled from Egypt, as they go into the wilderness. That whole story, multiple times, you see Moses just like falling on his face and praying because of the situation that they're in. Over and over. Think of David in the Psalms. So right now, my Bible reading plan—I'm going through a chronological plan. So it's like started in Genesis, and it kind of jumps around. But it's all in chronological order. And I think some—the beauty of 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 doing this right now is that right now I'm in going through kind of Kings, Chronicles, like First and Second Samuel. So it's all kind of lumped together. But also right in there is the Psalms. So you see, like David as he's fleeing from Saul. And you, you read that in First in and Second Kings, and then you read the Psalms that David wrote while he was facing that suffering, as he was fleeing for his life. And it's been a really awesome thing to kind of read those side by side and not have them removed from each other, to say like, you hear David's heart, you hear David's anguish, you hear his fear, his pain. Read through the prophets, people enduring suffering. Paul, we read the story with the kids one night this week about Paul with being shipwrecked, being bitten by a snake. I mean, Paul went through all kinds of suffering, and yet we see all through his letters, this, and we'll read this a little bit later on, but how he prayed, how he saw God as comforter in the midst of his suffering. We also see Jesus on the night before he was crucified, doing what? Praying. On his knees, praying. Like we see this all through scripture. People, when they encounter suffering, when they encounter trials, when things are hard, they're driven to prayer. And is that our first response? When we suffer, when times are hard, when trials come. I don't know that I can say, I can't say that that's always my first response. Why? Because somehow, we feel like we can somehow do this alone, that we can somehow manage all that is before us. But James is repeating Pray. Are you suffering? Pray. Are things great? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. And some of what's in these verses, I think also, kind of step back for a second, are some of the most misquoted and misunderstood verses. Because these verses have been used all kinds of ways. Because this is not... James saying, if you do this and this and this, if you mark these couple of check boxes, that God is going to heal you. That God is somehow promising physical healing in the moment if you check off these boxes. And you've seen this, these verses abused by different people, so somehow get money and and you see the big campaigns that have gone on over the past hundreds of years, especially when you see televangelists and things that say, if you'll just donate X amount of dollars to my ministry, that's your act of faith. And as I pray for you, God is going to heal you. That's, that's not at all what James is teaching here. It's not, he's not teaching some God that's like a genie in a bottle. This says, if you just do this, then God's going to grant you every wish, every healing that you're asking for, every Thing that, that you feel like you need. So please, like this is not what James is saying. But what we see is that there's three. I think there's three kind of categories of prayer that that James is talking about. Kind of, he kind of talks about three different levels. And and through through reading this week and through studying, there's all kinds of different conversations that people have had on these verses. People think it means this, it means that, but I really feel like James is pretty straightforward in what he's teaching. Let's look at verse 13 first. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Again, I've already said this and I'm going to probably repeat myself a lot this morning, but what is James saying to these believers, these people that he's calling brothers, sisters, like those that I love? I know you are suffering. I know you are hurting. I know you're walking through all kinds of stuff, but pray. Take it to God, the only one who has the power over it. That's what prayer is. We're going to God, the only God, the only one who has power over your circumstances, the only one who holds the power. So, so what about you? Are you suffering? Are you walking through various trials? Are you happy? Are you content? Are you sick? Are you hurting? James says, "Pray, pray." Like, look at verse at chapter four, verse seven. We've I've been memorizing this together on Sunday nights. It starts out submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Prayer is just a submission to God. Prayer is saying that God, you know best. God, you are in control. Because if God's not in control, then why pray? If God is not sovereign, if God is not in control, then why pray? To submit yourselves, therefore, to God. I think we can be obedient to this verse as we pray. And James' first kind of directive is given to us as believers, us as individuals, saying, pray. Come to God. He's the one in control. Let's keep going. Verse 14 and 15. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. On, a, on a, kind of a side note, it's another kind of reference to the plurality of elders, there being more than one in the church. I think that's, as we talk about having a plurality, having more than one elders, I think this is one of those that say, hey, call the elders of the church. That's just kind of a side note here. But well, what is James saying with this? Because there's all sorts of different ways you have read this, read this passage or read these verses. I think it, it's all coming back to the same thing I just said. It all comes back to understanding who is in control. So Consider these words. Are you sick? Let him call the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And again, it's just this, this going to God in prayer. It's not that there's some, this oil that it talks about is some magical thing or that there's something special in and of this special oil or anything. That's not the point of this Verse. But it's a prayer of faith, knowing that only God can heal, and calling on those whom God has put over the local church, and saying, I need healing. I need something to happen that only God can do. And calling on the elders to pray. And again, it's not that it's some magical formula. It's not that, that, okay, well if I do this, then God promises that He's going to heal every little thing that is wrong with my physical body. Because that's not the promise here. I mean, God does promise to to save the believer and and to to heal us once and for all, but the promise of that is not ultimately in this life. That there is coming a day when when those who trust in Christ will be, will be once and for all healed, be given new life in a place with no more sickness, no more death, no more pain. So God is going to heal. Again, it's this, it's this prayer of faith. Not, not faith in the elders, not faith in, in oil, or not faith in doing, accomplishing certain steps but it's faith in a God who heals, in a God who's in control. And it it keeps going. At the end of verse 15, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So it goes beyond the elders now. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. One after another. Are you hurting? Are you sick? Pray. Pray for one another. Go to the elders. Ask for prayer. Confess to one another. Pray some more. Are things great? Continue to pray. Praise God. Pray. Pray. But does this verse, does this mean that if a person is sick, that he is sick because he has sinned? I mean, in in one sense, I would say yes, because we're all living in a broken world that that sin has broken and and sickness is now real. But the Scripture very clearly also says that, that just because someone's sick does not mean it's a direct result of their sin. If you... I'm not going to actually read it, but in John 9, you see a, you see a man who is um, disabled and, and the, they come to Jesus and say, Who sinned, this guy or his parents? And, and in very short, Jesus says, Neither. But it was, because, it was so the glory of God, through, so my power could be displayed in this man's life as he healed him. So, just because someone is sick, just because you're dealing with some kind of illness, is not, does not mean it's this direct result of sin. But you also see in Corinthians that Paul says there are some people that are sick in this church. There are some people that have actually died because of, of them taking communion the wrong way, but of them sinning. The sickness has then resulted, and even death. But why, why is prayer for healing tied up? Why is it talked about about sins being forgiven? Why are these two things together? It's like anytime we're going to God, anytime we're going to God in, in praise, in, in Thanksgiving, in, in need. I mean, I think it's this constant state of, of confession. It's this constant state of petition, of repentance, of asking for forgiveness. I mean, that never should stop. It says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Again, It's almost assumed that as we're going to God and asking for healing, as we're going to God and in our need, as we're suffering, whatever that might mean, Saying that, that we're we're also going to him, seeking forgiveness, seeking in repentance, seeking repentance. I've also heard people that been talking about confessing our sins. It says confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another. Like, wait, our 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 sin, that's just between us and God. We shouldn't tell other people about our sins. James would disagree. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. Like sin is deadly. I say it's almost more dangerous in the life of, a, of an isolated believer. Because until sins are brought into the light, they will destroy. And so we're, you see more and more, James is kind of talking about this, this community, right into these believers that they're where together, they're one. Confessing our sins, praying for one another. but also like if you believe in prayer if we say we believe in prayer why would we want to be the only one praying for healing praying for relief from that pain whether it's spiritual physical emotional like it's not just about an individual prayer it's not just about the prayer of the elders but it's about this community of believers coming before the almighty god praying Asking God to heal, asking God to save, asking God to forgive. Like, if we believe that God hears prayer, that God answers prayer, that God can heal, why would we not want everyone possible to be praying? Because how amazing is it that, that God, Almighty God, cre- that created all that is, that knows the, the hairs on our head. The God who knit us together. How, how amazing is this God hears our prayers? Hears your prayers. Like the God of the universe listens to you. He listens to you. Just regular people like us. Look at verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and earth bore its fruit. Like, this isn't the only kind of like amazing part of Elijah. I mean, we see earlier that he, he also he prays and fires, fire comes down out of heaven. But Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. God hears your prayer. God listens to us. Doesn't mean that he, that listen is not a God obeys us, but it's God hears us. God cares for us. Again, it's easy to read this in a way that thinks if I say the right words, that God's going to do what I want. Or if I just, if I. Then pray for the rain to stop, that the rains are going to automatically stop. Like God but God is going to answer prayers according to His will. And the more that we pray according to His will, like God answers prayer. God hears us. And not just the people that we might read about in Scripture, like, wow, God did all sorts of amazing things when they prayed. They're somehow special. They're somehow set apart. But no, Elijah was a man like us. David, man like us. Moses, you want to go through it. These these are not people who had some supernatural, other than, more than, nature like ours. as I keep reading these verses, as we read all through James, probably every chapter, almost every section, James has referenced these believers and said, brothers, sisters, the ones whom I love, I care about you. These are not people that he doesn't care about. These are not some distant people that he's, he's writing to. These are people that he cares about. This here hear His love. It's like, my brothers, I know you're walking through trials. I know life is hard. I know things hurt. I know you are suffering. I know people are are persecuting you. I know things are awful. But you have a God who hears. You have a God who cares. You have a God who wants to comfort you. You have a God who heals. You have a God who loves you. And now he's, he's closing out his book saying, so, so pray, talk to God. He is the one with the control. He's the one in charge of it all. He's the one working all things together for good according to his purpose. As we've been memorizing in James 4, to submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. James is writing. He he wants to comfort these believers. He wants wants to equip them to, to continue to walk through these trials, to continue to walk through this suffering. He continued to say, this is what it's going to look like to persevere. This is what it's going to look like to keep going. He keeps reminding them of a God who is continuing to work. A God who is continuing to love. A God who is continuing to call them to something so much more than what the world has to offer them. I briefly referenced Paul earlier. Just think, think think of Paul. Think about Paul. This guy who was jailed multiple times. He was beaten multiple times. Blinded, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake. Lived with some type of thorn in his flesh. But that same Paul, who lived through all kinds of suffering, all kinds of trials... Listen to these words in 2 Corinthians 1, through 3-5. These are Paul's words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so, though, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Paul, who had walked through all this suffering, all these trials, all this pain, is here pointing to the God of all comfort the only one who can provide comfort in our afflictions. And this comfort is found as we experience Him in His Word, as we regularly commune with Him, as we regularly talk to Him, as we regularly pray. Again, I I, I know... I know that many of of us, I know that many of you, are walking through various kinds of trials, various types of pain, various types of hurt. I know that some of you are in the midst of some really dark times. And I I, I don't want to stand up here and promise you that everything is going to look great, that everything in this world is going to get better, that, that there's always a brighter side. But Scripture does not promise that in this world. But listen, look, we have a God who cares. A God who does promise comfort, eternal comfort, beyond any comfort that this world can offer. Knowing we have a God who cares, knowing we have a God who rescues, knowing we have a God who saves, a God who loves. Are you suffering? Pray. Are you cheerful? Pray. Are you sick? Pray. Are you hurting? Pray. Pray going to the only one who can comfort, the only one who can rescue, the only one who can heal. And again, I can't stand up here and promise earthly comfort, but I can stand up here and promise eternal comfort in a God who can provide, who provides hope, who's given His Son to rescue Because whether it's in this life or in the next life, God will provide comfort. God will provide healing. New heaven and new earth. In Revelation 21, He promises to wipe away every tear. A place where no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, and no more pain. He promises that. And that's of comfort. That's a comfort that we can't manufacture. It's a comfort you can't fake. But it's one that only God can provide. Again, everything that James has been writing, everything that James has been writing, he's been writing to to Christians, and James knows that their life is far from perfect, that their life is is far from this picture-perfect thing that they want the world to see. But what he's been writing about since chapter 1 is what it means, what it looks like to live a real faith. A real faith that doesn't somehow avoid trials, it doesn't somehow avoid difficulty, it doesn't avoid pain, but walks through them. But not on our own strength. It doesn't walk through them by something we manufacture, but walks through them with our God. He's been talking about a real faith. A real faith that flees the comforts, flees the riches, flees that of this world. We've talked about worldliness. Calling us to a real faith that clings to the only one who can rescue. You guys, we're... We cannot do this together. We cannot do this by ourselves. We can only do this together. I mean, look at verse 19 and 20. It says, My brothers, hear that word again, my brothers, my sisters, those who I love, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings a sinner back from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Hear this like this declaration, this display of community. This this praying for one another. Confessing to one another, praying for one another, reminding one another of the truth. Again, we I know everyone, the people are walking through a variety of different things. Variety of different hurts, pains. But here James is saying what real faith looks like is all together, clinging to the only one who can save, praying for one another, praying with one another, going to the elders, asking for prayer, praying individually, but being a community, being a people that pray. This desperate prayer of our, out of our need because we cannot do it alone. So if you would go ahead and bow your heads, the band can come on up. Um, I'm going to pray, and, and as I pray. I'm just going to invite you to go before the God of all creation right now. The God who cares. The God who loves. The God who rescues. We get to go to this God and He listens. He knows the pain in your heart. He knows your suffering.